Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, um, and welcome to the Royal Academy of Arts. It gives me great pleasure uh, tonight to introduce Edmund Duval and David Hills of DSDH Architects. Um, tonight is the third and the final event in a series we've been running over the last few weeks now on artist studios. Um, it's, uh, I think, uh, studios provide an incredibly interesting kind of lens into thinking about architecture. Um, and we hope by having a platform between architect and artist to really open up some of the conversations that have taken place. And the studio itself, I think, is a very interesting one. It has to negotiate incredible numbers of practical things, particularly in the case of Edmund's studio. But it's also a space that has to kind of enhance creativity, or is one in which creative practice takes place. Um, there becomes a relationship between the physical space and perhaps the mental space of which one engages in it. And I think this series has been asking a number of times, actually, you know, what is, what is the space of a studio for an artist? And we started this a uh, number of weeks ago with Anselm Kiefer talking about his own studio. Dan, um, sort of, principally, he's one in Barjac, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it is an incredible kind of landscape that he has shaped. It's a sort of Gesamtkunstwerk. It is not just his studio, but a sort of a, an artwork in, in its own right, where he's sculpted and created tunnels. He's created giant amphitheatres. He's created pavilions in which he houses his work. And he said when he was asked about this studio, what he felt about it, and he said it's kind of it's a reflection of his mind. And so, in fact, it is his mind. So I think what's interesting in, in his way is that he makes a space that is a reflection of his mind in which he works. And, um, and if you go into the galleries in, um, in the Royal Academy, they're sort of quadruple or probably times that by a hundred times and you have a sense of what he's working in. And then we had a second discussion with Alan Jones talking about his studio designed by Piers Goff. And Alan said actually he creates a space or he wants a space where he entirely gets lost he says he goes into his space, the studio in Oxfordshire, and he'll work continually for eight hours there and will come out and not quite know where he is, sort of be surprised to find the Oxford landscape out in front of him. Um, and I think this evening we have quite a different studio because for Edmund it's a space where he makes, he writes, and also a sort of space where the work comes into a semi-exhibition and its sort of agency changes within that. Um, but we do want to interrogate this relationship between architect, an architect and an artist and that sort of shared understanding of practice, the sort of dynamic of conversation that's taken place. So it's not just about the studio tonight. I think it hopefully is opening up other dialogues about architecture. And I'm pleased that tonight is the final one in these series because I think it will probably be the richest of all of these conversations. Um, no sorry, pressure. No pressure. <laughs> But I'm certainly very excited about it because it has been a long-standing relationship between Edmund and David and many conversations which have taken place which are not just about the studio but a number of works they've made together and also collaborated on. So it hasn't just been a relationship between architect and client. They have been sort of working alongside one another and with, um, with their practice. And um, I think it is very special the nature of those involved. They're both you know, incredibly thoughtful, broad interests and a curiosity in people, things and places. And um, David set up his practice in 1998 with his partner um, Deborah Saunt and this practice DSDH 
um, has, I think, defined some really interesting architecture. They've led um, incredibly high on ideas of collaboration, but also on research. And that's looking at the urban realm with an interest in people in the city and really thinking about what makes a place, the physical and social history and materiality. And they don't just give it lip service, this research. This research kind of echoes down into all of their work that you see. And some really exceptional projects, not just like these small discrete studios, but also very big and complex things like education projects. They were Sterling Prize nominated for Christ College Guildford. And I think there's some lovely other projects that are dotted about the city. A couple of favourites of mine are the um, little pavilion down behind City Hall, the charred, charred timber pavilion, if you know it. It kind of really... It's very it's tiny and modest, but very powerful against the sort of big city hall, Foster's big city hall egg sort of fallen over, leaning towards it. Um, and then the project on South Moulton Street, if you know it, which has glazed ceramic tiles um, on that sort of corner of South Moulton Street near Bond Street, Tubery, come out. And also Alex Munro's studio down in, um, down in, uh, in Borough. So they have done these sorts of studios and their practice ranges across from these very big ones to the, to the small. And in all of those, they show great care. And I think, you know, you see the correlation with Edmund's work here. You can see why the inter interest has, has fallen between the two of them. He's an artist who's interested in objects, in collections, in place, in histories. And that's echoed in his work, but also beautifully illustrated in his book that he wrote in 2010, Hair with Amber Eyes, which I'm sure many of you have read, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do so. Um, it's a wonderful family memoir that traces the uh, story of Netsuki. Um, and I think what's interesting about Edmund is he is the sort of work relationship between his work as a ceramicist and writing. And I think this will probably come up when we start to talk about the studio, of how these two spaces for different sorts of creative work start to interplay. Um, Nedman is obviously an incredibly well-known ceramist artist. He came to love, if I'm putting words in his mouth, but, you know, found a love for, for the pot at a very early age. At sort of five, he threw his first pot and then studied... Um, with, at, while still a student at, with Geoffrey Whiting, who was a disciple of Bernard Leach, um, and then went on deferring a, his place at Cambridge to actually go and spend time in Japan, looking at cer ceramics there, and had an apprenticeship with Whiting where he made pots, I think, kind of continually, which he still does. I mean, we had a, we had a talk a couple of days ago, and someone said, does, but, but someone else must make Edmund's pots, don't they? No, they don't. <laughs> And I think that you know, this, this sort of space for not just... For, for just making and relentless making is a really interesting relentless thing. Um, but tonight's conversation is hopefully going to be quite loose. We've had... We met a few weeks ago and then started a conversation and then deliberately thought we don't want to rehearse it, so stop talking. Um, and so it's going to be sort of divided into three sections. Um, the beginning bit, I'm just going to ask Edmund and David a few things and hopefully we can spark... and bring to life some of this conversation, which I think takes place um, as their friendship develops, as they work, and the two inter intertwine. We're then going to talk more specifically about these studio spaces, and they're going to talk us through. And then we'll return to have quite a lot of time for discussion, and I hope you know we'll invite you to join in. Um, so I'm going to flick. Sorry, I'm going to do this as neatly as I can. Um, and so while we, we do talk, there's going to be sort of... We've got slides on a loop here, which is showing 
Um, principally um, Edmund's works moving through his various installations and then you'll start to see the studio spaces emerge behind us. Um, and then we will talk in more detail about the studio. So they're not meant to be there as, you know, as things that we talk directly to, but they're just giving you a feel, a flavour, a reminder of the work as the conversations begin. So I might just start with a really most basic question, but even describing you know, how you met, how you came to, to find one another. Who starts? I think... Um it's about uh, common friends, in fact, isn't it? It was absolutely common friends. So there was, there was um, friendships, joint friendships from way back. And then they kind of... I knew what you were up to. I mean, I was keeping an eye on you. There was a sort of... An but, outward, you know. but there was a reason why you got back in touch. There was an awful accident, which um, <laughs> in the days when um, Edmund made pots to use... Um, and uh, De- Deborah Sorn had been given some uh, a collection of, of coffee cups, in fact, that Edmund had made, and, and I had the unfortunate accident of smashing them all. And it's such a cool way of, of getting back in touch so, with someone. So, uh, but the conversations was very was, was totally well. That's what they're for. They're supposed to be broken. In that day, in those days, you were supposed to break them. No, no longer. But the, um, so, so I was a. Uh, Great, in the great fortunate position of being able to recommission a set of uh, coffee cups to replace those at the time when um, Edmund's studio, or Edmund was looking at um, making his own studio. You see, I remember it differently, <laughs> which is, in the old days, I used to make these espresso cups, which were really nice, weren't they? You, really you, nice. you, you used to like them. I mean, they were really small <laughs> and kind of, you know, they were delicate. And they had these, um, I used the end of a paintbrush to make these little marks on them. They were very, they were very nice things. And, and you broke them and, <laughs> and, and rang up. And you said, would you make some more cups? And I think I said no, because I didn't, any, I didn't make espresso did cups. You did say you don't make them anymore. Yeah. But at that moment, I was working in a shared studio, a beautiful shared studio in a, in a warehouse in Peckham and I just bought a site in another bit of South London and was looking for an architect. That's my memory. So it was on that condition that, uh, that <laughs> I worked on it. Well, no, that we, that we began, I mean, there was this extraordinary beginning, beginning of a thing which was yeah. that which is, I hadn't seen you for a while, and then suddenly there was this thing about you sitting around this table in a studio, and I was very alive to the idea of, of, of what happened next, because I, I, I didn't want a shared studio, I wanted to move on, I wanted to be elsewhere. And there you were, and we started to talk about studios. The first studio, yeah, yeah. that's true, very true. Which was a fan- that was in itself a... Um, an amazing kind of uh, opportunity because w- uh, our practice was also in South London. Uh, we, the, it was a, uh, uh, we had lots of kind of shared connections, I think, that had emerged through a number of years. And so the, the, the opportunity to go and start looking at extending a conversation about making something together was really exciting. And one of the interesting things about, about where you were as a practice um, was it was in that extraordinary... Um, Muse, wasn't it, down in Elephant, where there was a sort of jumble of different kinds of practice. So you weren't sort of, you know, in a beautiful kind of tower block being architects 
and sort of posh. You were, I mean, you might get there, but you weren't that. But you were amongst other kinds of practice. So there were, you know, jewelers and potters and carpenters, and a, and, and so was I. I was, you know, I at that point wasn't posh either. And we, I, I was amongst all kinds of other things as well. So there was that, that feeling of, sort of texture about work. It was, which I think was very kind of shared. That yeah, sense I of think, what I think both both of us were informed a lot by the context of which mm. our projects were and where we where we worked. That it wasn't a kind of hermetically sealed environment. And I remember the, one of the first things that you'd said about it would be easy to speak to an architect about a studio, and it quickly goes to the direction of a gallery and a sort mm. of. A, a space for displaying, but this was very much about um, an engagement with um, a space for making that would would be enriched by knowing that other things had happened before. Which was that interesting because when I first went to your studio down in Elephant and Castle, um, you know, you went down this cobbled muse past all these different people with their doors open doing all kinds of things. I mean, really interesting, real kind of. You know, real South London work. You know, all kinds of things going on. And then up these stairs, and it was very interesting because, you know, you were doing all kinds of projects, as, as Kate was saying, of different kinds of scale and different kinds of texture, different kinds of materiality. Um, but you were in a building which had an extraordinary presence, extraordinary sort of presence of a, of, a, of a previous life. It was a sort of palimpsest in itself. And I, I so liked the fact that it wasn't just, you know, banks of, of Max going down into the distance. Yeah, we had a very messy studio at the time. <laughs> but also, the, the pre, we, shouldn't even, we can't even talk about some of the things that had happened in the studio before we went there. They were, really, they were mm. rather unpleasant, some of them. Lots of films were made in the, in, in a, in the studio. <laughs> no one wants to know about but it's in, but it's the, it's that it's that idea of of, of maybe of, of a, a practice cu- emerging out of uh, serial kinds of work rather than it being a kind of sort of monologue. And that that was that was that completely got that. Yeah, I think the interesting thing. So I mean, there was a, the fascination of the sort of multiple and not knowing what we were going to achieve. Is I think when in our studio there hopefully are kind of rows and rows of tests of, of, of a project that you know, <coughs> explores a whole uh, series of, of narratives and issues w- through which a kind of story emerges of what the final project may be. And it's definitely this the, uh, sort of shared interest that you start in one direction and don't quite know where you're going, another influence comes along, and there's sort of inflections. Yeah, you see, the reason I knew we'd get on is when we sat down and had coffee and used the word iteration, which is possibly my favourite word, you see. And I didn't know at that moment that all architects use that word all the time. <laughs> I thought that was so cool, you know, so cool. I was really, really excited by the fact of sitting next to an architect who was using the word iteration. And I thought, because, of course, being a potter, you know, that's all I do is to iterate and reiterate. I make one thing and then I make another and another and I come back and I test and retest and refire. So it's a whole series of testings going on. And so the idea of, of, of a, um, uh, the buildings, that the emergence of buildings out of ideas might be a series of, of sort of holding up of tests and looking at them and then putting them down and moving on to another one seemed to me a really kind of credible way of making buildings rather than just sort of sketching something and 
sort of printing it. So it was a shared interest in part in process. Is that right? That was where you sort of connected at one level. I think the, pro the process, but also the sort of... Um, I think the thing that... In, one of the things that really interested me was about the sort of placement of, um, of Edmund's work within a specific site and place to provoke a different uh, understanding or relationship. Including this terrible building up here. Uh, of where you are. So, yeah, this, the, mm. the project uh, in Mima was, uh, was um, relocated in two galleries, which was yeah. completely different readings. Yeah. And that actually provoked another conversation about um, a shared project which grew out of yeah. a few years later, actually. So, so, so the, I mean, that, that, that was a really interesting moment because there was this invitation for me to work in, in Kettle's Yard, which was a shared place because we'd all been at Cambridge together. And Kettle's Yard is kind of, you know... It's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of ground zero for, yeah. for a lot of English people. Um, in terms of sort of modernity and domestic, domesticity and kind of how, how you can make spaces work. So that was kind of very shared thing. But the idea was I made work for there and then it went to Mima in Middlesbrough, which is a very, very tricky and unsuccessful, I have to say, building. What's, who's it by? Eric Venegra. Right, OK. Um, anyway, we might go back to that. Um, and, but that idea of, of, of iteration, again, of how, how you put work down in one place and then it changes its identity, which, of course, is immediately about storytelling, you know, completely about narrative. And the idea that actually you know, that's possible within architecture. You can tell stories, yeah. plural yeah. stories. And I think that just the, the, the idea, for me anyway, about that architecture has a duration to it, mm. that you... Um, the longer you spend in a space or a setting, the more hopefully you can get out of it. That it's not just about seeing something once and in an immediate way. And that placement of work was really about opening up a more thorough engagement with place. And all of all, the Castles was very specific yes. about that. But actually, all of the, your work has that same very considered and uh, emotional connection with place. But it was also, I mean, it was also the, the thing about, you know, where does work happen? Now, you know, if you're a potter, you're in the old days, the sort of leech tradition, you, there were very, it was very kind of, um, it, it was very codified about where, where your pots should be, you know, in the kitchen, ideally, um, um, or at ground, not at Wadston, for instance, um, but, but that idea that actually there were particular locations where pots had, had meaning and other things were off-limits, off whereas what I was trying to do was to try and, try, and, try and find out what they could mean in lots and lots of different places, which of course made, meant that my work was in dialogue with buildings. And of course, I'd always wanted to be an architect, didn't have the guts to become one and just became a potter so you know the idea of actually being able to sort of begin to talk about how, actually how do you frame objects within the frame of buildings became very very kind of crucial has your thinking about architecture <coughs> changed in doing that and through this process of working together because i think are you looking at architecture differently as you start to place architecture you know you test your work starts to test architecture i think it starts to open up dialogues that one can't see, and I'm wondering if there's an evolving... Are you starting to look at architecture differently through this process? Well, one of the projects which was really interesting for 
I mean, you may already have been ahead of this, but when we, we, we um, started working on a project which um, Deborah was leading for, uh, in Soho, uh, which was, was fascinating for us to um, try and engage with this idea of uh, uh, public art and, and how you could embed working with an artist um, in a different way on a project. And so the opportunity, we were already looking at uh, glazed uh, terracotta and ceramic facades. So the idea or opportunity to work with Edmund on a scale where um, you could really affect the surface of a building um, was was a really interesting sort of moment for us. Well, it, it was fascinating because this, this was a conversation, it was a very interesting and tricky site. I mean, it's a, it was a, that was a really interesting project. It was a, actually a very nice Edwardian building that you were going to get rid of, it wasn't, wasn't it? It was, a, it, it, was an, yeah, it was a very nice building, but it, was, it could be better. It, it was, could be better. It was a, um, yeah. it was a locally listed um, uh, police station, which, was also, although it was quite fine, had a very poor relationship to the street in terms of a very dense mm. part of the city, so that the narratives of where you would walk through views, vistas and connections with the site were... Uh, relatively poor and I think that's where our um, engagement with the site came about we're taking um, a journey into the building in its context and, and you have to imagine a kind of you know it, uh, it was Soho so it was it was it was to, the streets were kind of tunnels weren't they and so the idea was how can you bring light um, into that those spaces um, and make and make something which actually was Sort of almost self-illuminated, actually, actually, actually produce light and shadow in a space, which of course is what pots do. And the the, the most deadly words in the English language are public art. They are just so completely horrific. It's sort of public art is a sort of post hoc kind of embarrassed thing where you go, you've screwed up some site and then you get an artist in to kind of do an apologetic thing. It's a kind of sock. We got you to do some of our architecture so, and called it. So, so the idea of actually, actually of being involved not in doing something after the building and planning had happened, not, not, not post hoc art, but actually being involved right from the beginning in thinking about what might happen in the building. And this was this idea of embedding something, which of course, and that's also kind of actually, and the idea was, it was a really beautiful idea. Yeah, and, and I think it, it picked up sort of thing, themes that were resonant in Ed, Edmund's work about, you know, even horizons and vistas within, for us, the city, but mm-hmm. it meant that there was kind of a tactile engagement, there was uh, uh, an, an interest in the untouchable, the kind of glistening character which might, or you might capture from a, a more distant so I think it began to sort of um, break down this sort of some elements of finding work within the city, but actually, and then touching it at the same uh, different instances. We, 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 were, we were going to have um, embedded, really embedded in the in the wall, like sort of like a sort of geological strata. Uh, these beautiful long lines of handmade porcelain right the way around the building in in, in at different levels. It was just that idea of a sort of, you know, of a child walking down a street, you know, sort of, and being able to run your hands all the way around the building, along a piece of porcelain all the way around the building, which was really beautiful. And, and, and it was, and then having something just at adult height, and then something which was sort of aspirationally high, and then something which was impossibly high. Um, and that, 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 that idea of, of, of sort of giving tactility, you know, back 
into buildings, which was yeah. already so kind of much part of part of your language of, of how you were doing. But you'd just done. I mean, you just done sh- that. The shift now is that you know those conversations you were you were just telling me that, yeah. that, that there's a there's a slim chance this building might happen again. But Edmund's already programmed now to 2019 or something. So the the idea of uh, resurrecting it might. Uh, have to be reinvented in a L- Luckily, way. we're not on tape. No, no one is taping this conversation. I mean, I, but I love that idea. I love, I, you know, the, 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 the scary thing about sort of, you know, being an artist and working with architects is, is about, where, you know, where, where are you allowed to work? Um, this is actually quite a good example. You know, where, where, where are you allowed to work? You know, what's your zone? Where, where do you belong? And so the, the, this, this, the openness of this thing about actually everything's possible. You can, be, you can be below, you can be above, you can be in the building. You can walk through the building and actually discover at different, different points. It seemed to me just, just really, really exciting. Yeah, it's quite refreshing for, you know, to work alongside that uh, freshness in terms of questioning a brief as an architect as well, that if you're asked to design something, can you move outside... <coughs> of what you're asked to do and actually pursue a more interesting conversation about it. That might be a good segue into the discussion about the studio. Was there a brief? Did you develop one together? Was there a conversation about the sort of space you wanted? Was it one about practical things or was it about the space you wanted to be in? Do we remember this differently as well? (laughs) It's like an old married couple on stage. Actually, have we got the slides of that, the studios, or are they com- are they, will they emerge out of the Yeah, we can. Yeah. Yeah, let's go to the other one. Yeah, because actually, it was it was. Uh, we'll, we'll lose. We're coming lo- back lo- to these lo- lose Chipperfield. We um, the um, it, there's a very. It was a very complicated site. Um, and the, um, the, I think the brief began by, by, by it, was a very, uh, it was a very, very complicated site. It was a very, very complicated, it was basically a garage in Tulse Hill. I mean, how glamorous is that? So what year is this? This is, this is 10, 11 years ago. It's about 2004, this first studio. Yeah. With, with similarly um, an, an amazing eclectic... Uh, group of people occupying yeah. these yards. It was a very, very similar to um, uh, Isle of Yard where we were. Eclectic is the politest possible way you could define the demographic of my neighbours. <laughs> Billy Ocean had his recording studio on one side and there was a, a, Caribbean, a lot of Caribbean car workshops. And, and that's just the beginning. I mean, it was just, it was fantastic. Actually, it was really fantastic when you had kind of posh Notting Hill types coming down to try and buy porcelain and then having to kind of navigate Tulse Hill. That was really one, was very, very a, kind of, was that was an, tremendously kind of pleasing actually as their, their anxiety levels rose higher and higher. <laughs> there was an amazing um, uh, one of the openings that you had at the studio where you were safely inside, but when you, when you left, all of the chauffeurs were waiting at the end of the, uh, of the yard because they were too scared to drive in <laughs> and there was this sort of fearsome moment where they'd let people out of their cars not knowing whether they'd actually get back I think. <laughs> so the, the, well, the, the space was a, well, again the space was brilliant because it had been a, a leather upholsterers for a, 
I think car, vintage cars. Vintage cars. Yeah. So um, it was a really dark space. This is the kind of yard um, space. It was, it was just like a covered yard with a, two, yeah. a small two-storey building to the right. And it was incredibly dark. Um, and I suppose the conversation was about how can we bring light into this environment to, uh, to, to make a, a, a space for working, but would also open up the other uses that were needed. Yeah, so, you know, I was massively aspirational. This was my chance to have an arch- architect take me seriously. So I was, had huge expectations. Um, and what I wanted was a space... I mean, the thing about making pots is that, is that it's, a, it's a whole series of, of basically dreadfully messy tasks. You know, you, you, you've got clay, wet clay, which produces dust. You've got glazing, which produces just app everywhere, you've got kilns which produce fumes and then you've got to grind things down and packing you've got all these sort of processes all of which are just just sort of industrial um, processes and I wanted something which was you know, as beautiful as the Barcelona Pavilion I wanted a space in which to work and have a library, I wanted a space in which I could try out work that was absolutely part of it sort of tr- just, just look at things and, and, and put installations together. I wanted it to be uh, everything to be able to be moved out so that I could have other people's work, show other people's work. I think I wanted everything really. It was it was a, a very interesting time, but it was it was a very generous brief because uh, you had assistance at the time. So it was already a conversation with Edmund, but also about how other people used yeah. the space as well. So that it was, um, i.e., assistance. You had assistants who would really be making their own work and would yeah. be exhibited together. So at times there were shared exhibitions going to be in the space. But as well as all of the kind of processes of making, the interesting thing was the first thing I think you said was that it had to have a, 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 somebody somewhere to sit down and have a cup of coffee. The kitchen um, was also a really important part of this because um, straight away, again, I think the, the idea of the conversation of welcoming people into the studio interesting conversations formed the starting point probably for many projects well it was the sort of it's the sort of um, it's lots of people come to the studio and it was so actually that that whole sort of threshold thing was completely critical it's interesting because actually you came up with this idea of of two of two everything being movable except for these two enormously heavy black objects in the space so it was going to be a white space with two things and if we go back to the beginning just like the Malevich's black square you came in and there was Malevich in front of you this sort of this sort of zero of kind of moment and they were they were they were beautiful black concrete so there were these two objects and everything else could be moved I have to say, more pots were broken on your expensive black concrete. It really concrete I can thing. Tell you, nothing the washing in that, up. Was nothing in that studio was, was expensive. No. They, uh, they, uh, this, they were. They were. Um, it's very nice of you to say beautiful black concrete yeah. objects because they were really handmade. I mean, this whole yeah. studio was made with the collaborators who were already making uh, early vitrines and, and cabinetry. Yeah. So it was really a... Um, the budget was nothing. It, it was, in a, it was a yeah. very fast project, and it was just as, uh, you know, testing this series yeah. of ideas. As Edmund said, it, the rawness of the walls yeah. was something we enjoyed, keeping the texture yeah. of the building so that the... Um, 
it can be very flexible in terms of displaying work that was being made at the time, although as we will go on, that obviously reached a kind of a critical point of scale. But alongside this one uh, key space was opening up the connections to the, the, what was to be the kind of library and writing space above, and then the kiln room on the lower floor. So just uh, stripping back the existing building so that, again, Edmund's work was, uh, was housed or found within uh, areas as you just <coughs> transitioned from one space to the other. And as you moved up to the top of the um, studio, there were just really simple moves about bringing in more light using the same material so that I think the work could, uh, or the work that you were making at the time, could just breathe in, in this sort of changing, uh, very soft... This was a lovely space up. It was a, I mean, it's, it, it was a huge... It was a very, very beautiful space. The light was very kind of diffuse. And it was... Um, and it was, uh, yeah, and it was pots and... Yeah, so I think that that, that was the transition, mm. that the, the, this amazing library that Edmund uh, has was part of the brief for this space. So that, that on the one hand, it, it's shown earlier on in the photographs as a, as a place of display, but the reality of it was this is a space of thinking, I think, more than yeah, I wrote, anything else. I wrote, I wrote, I wrote yeah. proper books up there. And so, and, so, and so the presentation of that project in yeah. those images all looks very calm, and this was not one of my favourite images. Well, this is Hélène Binet. I yeah. mean, this is... This, she this calms everything down. Yeah, exactly. And so exactly. There's, the, there's Edmund at work in this incredibly calm space in quite a messy in, environment, but mm. this you know, very sort of thoughtful process. And the, I suppose a few years later, um, the, the reality was when you go through the studio, it was... This. It was just extraordinarily compressed with the amount of work and testing that was being, you know, how, you'd already spread into a shed, hadn't you, as well? Yeah, I was, I was taking over Tulse Hill. I mean, the, 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 there, was, there, was a, there was a sort of acceleration of how work was happening. And this very beautiful um, uh, um, laboratory for work that you'd created, which was extraordinarily successful... Um, had changed into being, if you keep going, um, into being, you know, down, you know, there were, there were more people upstairs working. You know, I, I couldn't write anymore in my writing room because... Not, yeah, we not had to mention that downstairs, the kiln room, yeah. was also uh, basically when the kiln room was in operation, you couldn't use the upstairs room because of yeah, either the fumes, fumes or, or heat. So the doors had to be open permanently in order to ventilate the space. So it was, a, it was a really challenging environment at a time when massive commissions were happening, weren't they? So the sort of pressures and deadlines were... There was, a, there was, there was a particular moment when, I re- when it was really... It was, it was just too much, you know, which is... I'd been taken on by this rather grand American gallery... And they were coming down to look at work, and we were firing a kiln, and we were all, you know, the people couldn't go into the building because the kiln was firing, and it was all full of, it was full of, full of stuff, and it was, it wasn't any longer a place that I wanted to go and work in. It's not your fault. No, but well, it was, it was, a, and it was, a, and this was all very, and it was then a very sort of sudden. Uh, or very fast mm. uh, pressure where we were asked what, uh, recently, somebody asked about um, uh, what's your relationship as a client and architect and 
So, and, and, uh, and Edmund says, uh, we don't have a, a, a client-architect relationship. But um, at the same time, when you're told, I, I have a show opening in New York in uh, eight months' time, and I need to, need to find somewhere to move to, and I want you to make the new space, and you're thinking, hey, this is a really fast turnaround. Is it? Uh, the reality is, so in October 2012, I think, sometime yeah. around then anyway, Edmund found this amazing new studio uh, just up the road in Norwood next to a bus, bus depot where the, um, uh, where the ambition from October 2012 was to then leave um, Tulse Hill one day and carry on making pots... In Which I thought was fine. I thought I, 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 with a six-month time I'm scale. Sounding like, I'm sounding like an utter diva. Absolute. I think actually. Um, it, but it I thought it was fine that you'd actually I'd be able to stop throwing one day and start throwing up the road a, a few months later. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so the next studio. That was an amazing opportunity because you found a space which was uh, about six thousand square feet. It was it was vast compared to. Um, previous studio and and it had this amazing history in itself of mm. being a, a munitions factory or workshop which in itself is kind of an extraordinary yeah. thing to have mm. next to this bus depot hidden away <laughs> it was it, it, it was it was incredibly beautiful and melancholic it was a kind of it was a kind of sabald kind of set if you can see what i mean it was full of full of boxes saying explosives and, um, and, and extraordinary bits of equipment. And it was an old, old firm that had finally gone into the ground. Um, and, and, and it just seemed too good a chance to, 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 not, 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 to, not to go for it. So, and weirdly, it's, it's quite a similar arrangement. One large space and next to it, um, a sort of two-storey office, uh, mm. series of office spaces which were really claustrophobic but also a little mm. bit like a set from Mad Men which was quite yeah. charming wasn't yes. it? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, 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 the conversation there was, was I guess about it was about taking pretty much the same components of writing now on a bigger scale making on a bigger scale and um, the kitchen on a bigger scale uh, receiving uh, uh, guests and work just on a vastly sort of different um, operation, but keeping alive the same narratives, probably. And also, I think the challenge for us was about how you took such a vast space and also maintained a connection with the kind of domestic scale or the, the setting for you know, almost holding a, a pot as an individual. Yeah. I, 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 it was, I was very clear that I didn't want to end up with a space which was so, so beautiful um, that I couldn't make pots in it. And that, and that actually, when I sort of envisioned making or writing, it had, there had to be intimacy in those things. The rest of the spaces could be extraordinary and expansive and lucid and, you know, and, have, and be scaled. But that, that there had to be that kind of, And that, that I couldn't work out how you were going to do it. So I was, it was a very interesting... So, so, there were, so we inevitably worked with a series of models and sketches which were really about testing the scale of that space and the role of the table, I think, was really interesting at the conversation because <coughs> you had this idea that where the, the, the kitchen, which was the place of kind of conversation, was now also about where work was viewed, where it was um, packed, unpacked, unfolded. Everything about the work would happen through this series of tables 
which could march through the space but also offer this flexibility and how we would, within the volume of that space, find places to work which where you wouldn't be lost as an individual and where you could, it could kind of break down into narratives really about places you know, for, for working in a kind of way that you were connected but um, not separated. Can we go back to one, one photo? Is this you putting up work in Edmund's studio? This, well, this is us looking at um, um, how you could locate the kind of library of books and drawing it probably as, a, as, a, as one of your installations. Well, anything in a line looks like one of my installations, so it's a bit kind of... Well, it's a bit kind of... I think it was the... It was the yeah, maybe implicitly it's the kind of the, the, the memory for me of uh, Cattle's Yard, of uh, finding the book spine reinterpreted as a... Oh, yes. Yeah. It's a really interesting yeah. echo between the two. So the volume of the space in, the, in this section here shows the kind of the... the um, this is a pointer, the, the kind of volume of the kind of main shed, and then at the side... This is what we did to it in the end. That we opened up the space a little bit, which we'll show you. But it was about how you could connect this, you know, previously separated office building to the kind of main uh, workshop space. Um, and in terms of the, the kind of what how it ended up, um, this shows the kind of the main volume of the space, which was divided uh, with a wall through it, and then a series of openings which were made along the kind of smaller spaces at the side to sort of unfold all of the um, narratives of making. And, and this, was, this was fascinating because, you know, I, I, I couldn't see how this building would work. I mean, I, I knew it was big. In fact, actually, the next slide, you know... This sort of demonstrates that sort so of shift. It, it, so that's the old studio onto the new studio. So I knew it was bigger, <laughs> which I liked. Um, but I couldn't understand how... Um, how the connectivity of all this stuff would work. I really wanted it not to be a series of, of sort of hermetic spaces. Um, that really, really mattered to me because, I, I, you know, they are, those bits of my life are really, really profoundly connected. Um, so I didn't want to be sort of that. And, 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 and your, what you did was, was really very interesting. I think that, that comes... That um, conversation briefing was really interesting for yeah. me because I am really fascinated about how um, artists work within their space as, a, as mm. a, an individual or a team and what, how that works. And so the studio team, um, who might be more perceived to be more administrative uh, you know, in some ways, or there was the notion of office, this dreaded word of office, and it would have been very easy to place the kind of... Off- the default would have been easy to put the office yeah. in the kind of what was the office building and it was there was a lot of conversation about how yeah. disconnected that would be from the process processes involved of of making the <coughs> placing and researching the work so there was an absolute ambition to take to open up the existing building to create two moments of connection both on arrival within the building and then laterally as you go through the journey to reconnect where the area for writing and thinking yeah. with the main studio and this shows the sort of sequence within this very generous program that was uh, given to us over Christmas, um, of, of taking apart what was a really kind of dense entrance hall to open up a vertical connection, which you know, was kind of messy but worthwhile because the result was that coming into the studio is opened up into a double-height space where it's flooded with light. Yeah. You immediately feel that you need to look mm. in many directions. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's, you know, it, the other word you used on our first meeting was liminal. 
which is, again, you know, a love affair with liminality. You know, anything to do with thresholds is important. I mean, and, and, but the idea of actually, you know, really investing in that space of how you come in, um, really, really thinking it through so that when you come into a building, not everything is shown to you. You know, it is absolutely the genkan, the kind of Japanese place where you, where you put something down and, and, and change gear. So it's not, you know, it's, it's not like an English country house. Where, you know, it's all kind of like that. Um, so some things are withheld, but what you do get is absolutely the texture of the building. So you've got all the, all the materiality there, in, 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 absolutely on the threshold. And you've got the kind of invitation to go up or go, go through. Um, it works. I mean, yeah. it really, really works. But, you know, again, I, 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 it, it works more and more and more. Actually, have we got... Can you see... Yeah. So at the, at the time, I think you were just uh, working on a piece, actually, in Cambridge, weren't you, where, yeah. your work, where Edmund's work was um, buried beneath the pavements. And so I th- I, I, this was another dimension yes. that was we yeah. were really... Or Edmund was really keen to sort of build into that sequence of coming through... The building, you just again, you discover work, and it's a uh, an opportunity to test uh, that condition. I, I, I love the idea of being able, of walking into a building across across a vitrine. You know, actually having to walk over porcelain to get into the building. It was it was it. Uh, <coughs> it, it seems to me beautifully perverse. Um, anyway, into, uh, and then the, just I don't know how we are for time, but just running through this. Yeah. So, yeah. Within the, the, the texture of the building was something that you also really, really wanted to not radically erase the kind of history of this building. And so we worked quite hard to sort of find a place to locate the kind of kitchen buried within this kind of lower wall and zone, again, by just removing part of the wall, but actually using the same material, white-painted brick, to, to kind of shield the kitchen. So it wasn't thrown into your face, but it was just offered then to this uh, flexible environment. And then... Um, looking at a, kind of a series of where we then had to... We did have to warm the building up because it was pretty yeah, freezing. It's absolutely on, freezing. On yeah. Saturday, we went into the kiln room and you, the kiln room, does your brief, didn't have underfloor heating because mm. of the uh, kilns heating up. And it's the one area where it's absolutely uh, freezing, isn't it? It was, uh, it was amazing to know that... The, the, that was what the space was the like. The space was un- unbearable to be in. Yes. But so, the, the, so part of the... Uh, um, brief was then lining some of the walls so that they did take on uh, a condition which was was able to be interpreted or used as uh, gallery settings because the work is now placed in so many different environments so the sort of formality of the space was kind of brought but only offered into the existing shell of the building we we hope and you see on the right hand side of that image just the slot that was just left so that you could retain the kind of long vistas through the space again providing another way of reading scale within the building. And then as you move behind uh, that, that wall, the uh, Metzny, we built a Metzny because of archiving, which was, I mean, I, I don't believe you can, uh, it, it can provide all the archiving that's needed. No. Now, but um, no. there's more archiving than was available yeah. before. And then moving um, into a more intimate setting, which is where the glazing starts happening. But they're, so they're visually connected. The bre- I think the idea was to sort of allow breathing space for so I mean, so if you think if you think about studio as, as as conversation, you know, you want people to be in conversation with each other. You want them to be able to have spaces which are are um, 
are clear enough for them to be to work with for people who are working on glazing or firing or packing or working in the sort of hub of, of the office itself to be able to work with concentration and not, and not be sort of endlessly sort of jangled by lots of other things. But absolutely, you want people to be aware of what's going on so they're not atomized processes because it, if they're atomized, then you don't get the coherence. And <coughs> so the studio is a series, is this absolutely this sort of chain of interconnected spaces. You know, acoustically as well as, you know, which can be a little challenging sometimes, but acoustically as well as sort of spatially, as, as, you know, in terms of the volume. But we're going up. Yeah, so, so, you're, so, you're move, so moving through the studio, Barrett, you go from a, a kind of quite grand now, actually, entrance hall, but that just offers these distant uh, views and then through a compressed uh, space towards the main studio and then you come uh, move through to these workspaces up, the, up some a little discrete staircase into the mezzanine, which is at the moment where you throw every pot, I yeah. think, pretty much. Yeah. The, the idea being that the studio offers you completely different environments. I think the idea is that... you. It, I, in fact, Stephanie said that you did go... You were working in the main space recently, or a while ago. Maybe she's Not lying. making. OK. <laughs> she was lying to us on Saturday. Do you, have, you moved, have you moved the, um, the wheel around no. at all? No, I'm not allowed to. My architect tells me exactly what it's like. Me as Van der Rohe, you know, I'm not allowed to do what... No, I... No, I there are, we'll, we'll get to it later, but there are these two hanging, hanging spaces in the studio, which, which one where I make pots and one where I write. And, and I'm incredibly happy with those two spaces. And so, no, this is, this is where my will... My, where my will... Is. And actually, it's very small. I mean, it's, you know, the medicine is not hugely bigger than, you know, this kind of space here. So, you know, it's a pottery studio for that, you know, for God's sake. But actually, the amount of space I actually need to actually make a pot is actually very modest. Everything else is immodest, but that's modest. So the, so the other cut that you just mentioned yeah, yeah, was about, so yeah. as you come, if you go back in, as you come back into the main studio, and this is slightly viewed from the Met scene as well, so there's a sort of, vi- there's definitely a changing condition of light which this throws into the, the space of so the, the, the sort of office building another void was cut at the other end which would connect it back to the studio itself. So this void was cut which now becomes another uh, vertical space for uh, displaying work and again offering that connection to the writing studio. You see that in that, that image the, um, this sort of blast of light that comes through. I think the other thing is about yeah. south light versus north light yeah. which is this offers the one sort of it's, moment of... Um, it's incredibly beautiful. It's an incredibly beautiful space. It's hugely successful because you've got these big white walls in the sort of main, the main part of the studio where you can put up your vitrines and what have you. But then there's this sort of... Because there's this double height thing with just flooded with light, you can put one very, very, very small mm-hmm. object in it. And, and um, yeah, it? yes. Yeah. yeah, and it's just... Um, it, it, you can really, really kind of concentrate on things. It's, it's, it's an interesting... This is, a, this is a space where you test. This is where works come into a conversation of agency, is it? Yeah, well, you can... You, you, all, all kinds of things go on. But, it, but, for instance, at the moment, we're working on a whole palette of new glazes. And um, that is the place that, from choice, I would put those, those objects because, because I can, can come in the morning and not see them. And then I can elect to go and look at these things, and it gives me that kind of very fierce concentration of going and looking at something. It's a bit like a chapel. Yeah. I'm not saying my work's remotely sacred, 
at all, but there is something odd about uh, a constricted space you come into, which is then has light coming down, and where you look at things. It's 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 a you know it's one of those sort of somatic kinds kinds of conundrums. You know you you are suddenly feel differently. And uh, so I think that this is then shows the connection from where I mean I think this is slightly tidier than maybe all the time, but the, the writing mezzanine is, again, a very modest space. But there was a, something very specific you were keen on as well about um, the, uh, the opacity of the glazing on, the, on, on, on this writing studio. So there was nothing radical done with it. The window sills, for instance, was just painted out, but the, all of the glass was just... Um, uh, we, used, we introduced translucent glass just to take away the immediacy of that connection with the environment and allow the light to... Well, the immediate environment outside is South Norwood bus garage. So, you know, come on. It's not like I'm missing some kind of Tuscan hill you had a, yeah. or something. I mean, um, there, sorry. But it's, it's, I mean, there's some, but again, there's something very interesting about, about you know, when you're, writing, when you're writing that actually, you know, you, you do, you, you're in, you, 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 you go in, you go in, and in, and then, and then. So, actually... That kind of this kind of beautiful light does do something very special, and there's a, the, the, a similar narrative that the library here interestingly <coughs> wraps around sort of two sides. So it really takes you on a journey from the entrance hall into the writing studio in a, in a, a much more embedded way. I think now that the the library and writing mm. very much forms that transition from sort of arrival um, and entrance through to that uh, more considered space. And and I think that the last few slides are just showing the sort of flexibility about the. Um, the space is is equally home to your dog, which yes. is uh, you know goes. So there's a space for the dog in every uh, every part of the studio. And most of the time, it is full of packing crates, and mm. you know this like, work in transition and testing is that it, it's you know it, it can be it's a very calm space to um, to look at the work and consider it. But the, I was really interested recently the sort of generosity again of um, using the space with other people to re because there, although there aren't other people making pots in the space mm. you opened this dialogue with um, Romilly to show her work a jewellery a, a, a wonderful jeweller called Romilly Summary Smith who uses um, medieval and Roman um, uh, jewellery which is found by metal detectors and, and sort of repurposes it recreates them into contemporary jewellery and we did an, an exhibition a few weeks ago where we showed her work in the studio, very effectively, I think. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was amazing just seeing that care of, of making something on that scale alongside the, the testing of the glazes, actually, because mm. it really allowed, uh, I think, people to reconnect or to connect with your work as well as the, the jewellery and this sort of fascinating work, seeing the dialogue of those two together. And, and the, there are still traces left in the studio, aren't there, of the... Very expensive bricks. Yes. Yes, 24 really carat gilded them. bricks. So that all, and then the sort of calmness, the discreetness, I think. Of, yeah, uh, you of wouldn't know. You really wouldn't know. Um, I hope you wouldn't know. Although, Kate, you did mention on Saturday you thought the, the grey was a definite giveaway. Was a giveaway. That something was going on. There was, there was just, you could feel <laughs> that there was that little bit of care that had gone in. It wasn't a, it wasn't a standard grey. And when I made this comment, went in and went, I just saw the grey. Because there's no. The rest of the area just doesn't have that sort of consideration. It just hasn't been aesthetically treated. That's and I did, I did make a comment. And how many tests of grey did you...? There were a few greys tested. Yeah. yeah. It, it really felt like that. You could feel that someone had Put cared about this corner. Yeah. Um, I had, I've got two quick questions and then we'll go out to the audience. But 
There was something, Edmund, that you said when we were when the image of the lobby came up, and I think you said something like, "It works more and more and more." And I wondered whether that was as much a comment that you you were finding new things in the architecture or the studio and finding new ways to do sort of interacting with it, which is this sort of sense that architectures. Well, that's effective architecture, isn't it? I mean, the the you know, it, it, there's you know, if I if I if I'd exhausted the building. Then, then we wouldn't be on stage together because you know because the you know the, the capacity of a building to to not only to kind of um, to help you look at where you think you're going but also to surprise you is 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 really generative of ideas you know it's really tremendous so you know it had to be big enough to do different kinds of projects and be able to. Have, but do suspended vitrines and things. All that kind of stuff was. We knew that was the kind of work that was going to be happening. But actually, what's one of the things that I'm finding is is that it really works on a small scale as well. It really works on the kind of the, this scale, the hand scale, which is something I really hoped for, and it's actually completely happening. So the more and more and more is 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 my kind of. I'm putting my hand up and saying it works. And it was interesting how you did relate that. I think you said something also. Um, you wanted in your studio, in that space where you were going to work, it had to be intimate. And I thought that was a really lovely word. And I just thought I'd like to ask you a little bit more about what that means to you. In terms you like of to ask me about intimacy in front, in front of you? <laughs> okay, okay, fine, fine Kate. I'll... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very big deal for me because, you know... Um, I'm, I'm completely evangelical about the fact that, that things I make can be anywhere in the world. They can be at huge scale, they can be, occupy all kinds of public and complicated spaces you know, and, and, and very contested spaces. I mean, we did a huge complicated project in Vienna this year, which was you know, a hugely difficult, interesting thing to do in a difficult building, a difficult space. So complicated places yes but there's an absolute fundamental for me which is about that they all come because I choose to sit down at my wheel and make something so there's absolute sort of adamantine basic thing about 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 making things which are intimate which are fragile which are breakable which are have that kind of uh, uh, that kind of agency in the world that sort of that human experience of being in the world, which is what making a pot is, does. So, you know, it can be as, things can be as grand as you want, but if they haven't got that, then they're not alive. Now, actually, that had to come, that had to work for me in the building. You know, I, I, I didn't want it to be grand. I wanted it to be big and beautiful and interesting and mobile and expansive and it's done all those things and it's also wonderful because it's not grand. David, can you reflect on that moment of intimacy because it must be quite incredible to see these just beautiful objects as well. I mean, they're kind of each of them in your building and then also that you had them in your own space. You know, what do they do for a space for you? I think the, the amazing thing in the studio is the... Um actually you appreciate the intimacy of the work more through it being or 
certainly in a different way when it's in, in a, a, a vast context or that you can take great distance from it. So the, the, the amazing thing mm. through the sort of... There were huge challenges in the previous studio about being able to step back. And I, think, I remember the, um, the testing for the V&A installation, which you can, the distance that you were going to ultimately observe this piece from was deliberately uh, as big as it could possibly be and within the constraints of that studio like it was all about um, scale models and um, models are really useful to relate uh, the human being within a kind of volume of space but there's nothing that can quite simulate the real distance that um, one can uh, observe so I think um, uh, that the, the opportunity within this space was really to open a dialogue where we could enjoy the um, vast distances and I think it was important we didn't close off the space in its entirety we kept the longest vista you could possibly have Mm. so that in dialogue with that we could bring a kind of immediacy Yeah, Kate you did actually mention right at the beginning though Kiefer so I'm now feeling like I'm really shortchanged by my building because it's not (laughs) 600 acres in the south of France or indeed an enormous kind of aerodrome an amphitheatre so I think we need to start all over again. Fine. That's OK. On that moment, we might turn out to the audience. Are there any questions, comments, things people would like to put forward? Well, you can't be that shy. Come on. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation. There we are. Thank you. Um, we've got a microphone. Can have a conversation about anywhere to have a little lie down? <laughs> Um, that's a, I was being asked whether there was a conversation about having a little lie down about a place. Um, actually, do you know following your conversation about The do you know I just fall asleep at my desk. I just put my head down on on books on mice and porcelain, and I'm asleep. Um, I think Edmund doesn't sleep. Actually, I think there are times when you don't sleep, aren't there? There are certain years I don't sleep. Um, this this year and last year and this year I haven't slept, but. Um, yes, it's a it's a good good question. There is a there is a tr- there is. Do you know what that would be of such a dangerous thing? Because actually, I I do have a family and I do love my kids. It's quite nice to go home. So, if it, if it, if, it, if it even more comfortable, then I would I there would be a risk. Did you have conversations about music? I I think no. Uh, no, not really. But I I mean I know music's always in the background of. Um, Edmund's work. So there's a, ryth- there's a rhythm of, um, yeah. that I know so informs how you work. Yeah. And, um, it, 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 is, it is a fantastic space to play music in. I mean, we've, we've um, you know, because the, the acoustic is absolutely stunning. It's absolutely stunning, particularly for the incredibly kind of uh, tedious, driving American minimalism that I go for for my, my poor old studio. have to put up with, with, um, with Reich and, and, and John Glass. Adams and Philip Glass all the time. Surprised they last it, of course, but in fact they don't actually. They wear headphones now. Come think of it, but but um, but what I do want to do, and perhaps we should do this, um, is 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 to have live music. I think it'd be beautiful to have a concert in the space. Because I imagine you'd actually really you'd feel the connections in other ways yeah. as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, and the, the great joy about about kind of church music is not being, for instance, is not being able to see what see something, you know. It's not exactly the basilica, but you know. But you could, you could. I think we should do. We, why don't we, why don't we have? We could do it. We could should do music. We should. That's a good thing. That we'll do was music. a really interesting um, uh, project, the, the Kettle's Yard exhibition, where you actually had 
uh, choral performance, didn't you, in the, yeah. in the chapel well, we, with we, the work, which was really a, a, a spellbinding. Well, increasingly, we, we, uh, when, when I do projects, we do have... have we do have, have concerts and music associated with them, so, but not in the studio. That's a very good idea. Well, I've got one other that just popped into my mind. Can I, oh, down here, okay. How did you think about light? Because light is very important to your, to your work, and, and you sometimes play with shadows and so on. But all I saw was these thin neon lights, which I would think would not be very inspiring or intimate or anything like that. How did you discuss that? Um, well, from from our point of view, the the, the lights are there are the, the space is incredibly flexible. In fact, because the lights don't need to be on most of the time, so the the um, it, the space relies almost entire well largely from our point of view on, in terms of natural daylight. And the um, the most amazing thing happens is that which the sort of blast of um, golden light that you get coming in from the the double height void actually provides this brilliant highlight to sidelight some of the pieces and, and that changing quality of natural light definitely um, informs the space but it is true that um, part of the brief was also to simulate the fact that you know um, the Gagosian needed to be able to show that you could actually put gallery lighting in the space so the neutrality of it also was part of the condition to play both of those two things together It's, it's, a, it's a really good question because I, I actually put my foot down about having more sophisticated lighting because I didn't want sort of ersatz lighting. I'm much more interested in, in things being gloomy than things being over bright. You know, key text for me is in praise of shadows. You know, it's about how objects work as light fails or light gets more interesting. Um, and so... Um, it, it was much more, much more Im- important for me that actually, you know what, if you want to see it in different light, come back and look at it again, rather than have banks and banks and banks of sort of expensive daylight things up in the roof. Well, we did, I mean, we had a, a walk around on Saturday with various guests, and it was, it was really enjoyable being there for just, you know, the, weather, the changing weather during that time completely changed, and you went through the studio and... Um, uh, and that engagement with the changing lighting condition did mean that you saw uh, one installation at, at one moment, an hour later, it just looked completely different. And I think the luminescence of the inside of the pots was really you know, articulated. I mean, just a moment down in, in Margate at Turner Contemporary, we've got an installation called Atmosphere. Um, I don't know if we can find it, which is, um, which is um, you know, and, and you know, this is a good example because we can't actually mop this up in West Norwood terribly well um, those conditions but, um, but actually what we could do is we could suspend vitrines in the studio because of the brief which was fantastic and we could work out opacities and densities of, of different kinds of glass and different kinds of things so you know actually that's gone to Vienna there but um, actually the next one's beautiful okay. we've got to wait 20 seconds can't we speed it up um, so you, everything comes to those who wait. The next slide is really beautiful. <laughs> um, but actually, it's, it is absolutely about waiting for light to change. You know, so this, was a, this is in a, a, a strange neoclassical temple on the Ringstrasse, you know, where just during the summer, the spring and the summer, there was just a pair of my vitrines just sort of with the doors open. You know, 
and sometimes it's rainy and cold and Viennese, and sometimes the light co sun comes out. So, you know, it's, it's just wait is the answer, I think. Hello. Um, I'm French, so let's, let's try to communicate. Maybe my English is not so well, but I'll try to ask you something. Um, now, just to, to go back on, the, on some Kiefer uh, talk, and also uh, what you say about like, the neutral surface. Uh, Ansem Kiefer said like, uh, he didn't need architects, I guess, for his uh, artist studio. Mm. Because he was uh, like you, really involved about like uh, creating in like place with history. But um, when I when I see all these images, uh, what I can see it's like it's a really neutral spaces. Everything's white, like kind of glossy and clinic. Uh, and when like mass and also massive like. Yeah, like we have the table and this black stuff, yeah. um, and w when when you when we see our work, it's more like fragile. It's like porcelain, really textured and really colorful. So my question is like, um, do we need this contrast between like the the neutral surface and your and your art artworks to to create? Actually, it's a very good question. So what, what you're raising in, in your question is this dialogue between, a f between frame and content, and w uh, uh, between, between a, a, a building and the space within it and, and how, how you place things within it. I mean, one of the things uh, is that the vitrines which I use, the things that I frame my objects with, actually aren't clinical or neutral. They're quite... Uh, 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 Tactile. They often use lead or, or plaster or, or different kinds of, of structure in order to, to provide a setting in which my fragile work can be. So they seem at first glance to be sort of to be to have a kind of a, a minimal quality, a minimalist quality to them, to have that kind of framing device. But they're not. And actually, this building, though it does use white, is actually also full of texture. It's got all the texture of the previous inhabitants, of the brick. Um, the floor is this, is a, is, isn't, isn't a kind of off-the-shelf kind of posh, poured concrete. It's got lots of movement in it and lots of colour. Um, and there are lots of bits of the building which have been left behind, which are still there and very kind of you know, uh, very much in dialogue. So it isn't neutral in that sense. It's actually, it's a highly specific series of whites. <laughs> uh, and on that, uh, yes, I'm just finishing a huge book on the meaning of the colour white, which is why I've, I've got to stop at that moment, otherwise... <laughs> I'm lost. We'll be here till next September when it comes yes. out. Yeah. Looking yeah. Forward. Yeah. I mean, this idea of imperfection, I think, which is what mm. you're talking about, isn't it? Letting the history come through. Because it was interesting, you know, you chose this site very specifically in part because of its resonant history, didn't you? I mean, it seems to have a similar... No, I chose it because it came available. I was desperate. <laughs> and it was up the road. And, but then, Kate, then there was this extraordinary conversation about what, you know, 
what we do with it. You know, what do we keep? What do you? What do you? And what? And, uh, and what confidence can you bring to it? You know, the things that you did were in terms of these great cuts into the building, which were very dramatic. You know, and I slightly quailed. I have to say, at the first sight of, of what you were suggesting, were, um, and then, but keeping lots of other things were, were, were very interesting. Yeah. You know, decisions and emotional decisions. I mean, we, re- we really wanted to keep more. I mean, there were linings to some of the rooms from the explosives, which were zinc-lined uh, rooms, which were, which were... We could have done Kiefer. We could have done, we, we could Joseph have done. Boyce would have, yeah. would, have, would have loved some of these zinc rooms. But you know what? <coughs> Sometimes you just do things. You've just got to... You've got to uh, I, I didn't want to... It, I didn't want it to live in a Sabald building. Actually, I didn't. I wanted to. I wanted to, to get to work. Yeah, I mean, I think the the balance of the uh, of in, the imperfection and the and the, and some areas of perfect yeah. background yeah. is really important. And the dialogue of 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 being able to place the work in a rich context, albeit uh, it's within the uh, tonal uh, controlled tonal setting, mm. but the texture does come alive and allows you to off, off, offset the work in a way that is really important in dialogue with the mm. c- clean spaces. And there are loads, we left loads of areas which were quite messy uh, within the building, deliberately, so that, again, you can, all, you can actually locate yeah. uh, work in, in places you just wouldn't expect to find mm. anything. Is it not a challenge for you to create work which is going to be put in front of golden mirrors on golden tables in aristocratic houses, which you've done as well. I wonder how you feel about that. Yeah, well, that's a good one. Um, so that actually is, in, in many ways, a, a, that's a question. I, I did a, a project at Wadston Manor, which is a sort of, uh, is an 1870 fake French chateau in, outside London, which is... Um, where everything is gold. You know, you cannot move for gilding. And the brief there, uh, which I gave to myself, was to not to move anything, was to bring work in and actually not move a single thing in, in, in this extraordinary over-the-top. So, of course, it's a challenge. But why wouldn't you want that challenge? I mean, why wouldn't you want to... You know, I, I don't want my work only to exist... In, in some, I don't want my work to exist in a sort of antiseptic kind of loft somewhere alongside some trophy art. You know, it's much more interesting to be up against it in whatever way. And being up against it might mean being in a museum amongst lots of other stuff. It might mean being on a Louis Quinze table <coughs> Because actually, in all those circumstances, you can find a spatial coherence, a way of framing something and holding it just slightly apart in order for it to be in conversation with the space. So with, 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 with Wadston, did you see Wadston? Yeah. No. yeah. Um, which was crazy. I mean, a crazy series of spaces. I, I did these floating vitrines, these, 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 uh, these vitrines which actually were on, on thick perspex spaces, 
So they just, you know, there was lots of marble, but they were just floated above them. <coughs> oh, good. I didn't know where you were going. I loved the project. I'm glad you liked it. Well, what, one of, I did not expect it to work out so well. well one the of juxtaposition was really interesting, and you did it in a very controlled way. Well, I, one, one of, well I'm delighted to hear, to hear that response. One of the things um, was about that was about hiding work, hiding work, because it's sometimes really important not to have everything immediately overt and immediately on show. Mm -hmm. And so in Wadston, actually, I did a series of vitrines which I kind of hid in different places, uh, partly for my children, um, <laughs> just to see whether they were paying attention. Um, but partly, actually, because that is absolutely about your eye adjusting to things. Mm -hmm. Yes, this is, um, this is, this is uh, a Wadston piece. Is there any final questions, comments we've got before we close up? Before we have a glass of wine. We get a glass of wine, exactly, and then we'll be able to continue the conversations. I mean, I think this work really just, it does set something alive. It sets something in architecture that's quite incredible. Um, and I'm sure you've felt this as kind of working with Edmund. Actually, what his work does to space is something that I think architects are quite enviable of. Yeah, I think the, uh, well, we, Edmund wants to be an architect. We'd all, I'd like to be an architect. <laughs> we'll swap jobs one day, but I don't know if I do such a good job. <laughs> so, well, maybe one final question then for you, David. Have you seen, in, in this process of working together, have you seen your work develop? Do you sometimes, do the conversations with Edmund sometimes echo as you're doing things, or do you find them playing out in moments? The, the, the nicest thing for us is that um, we have an installation of Edmund's work in our studio, which um, is, is, is moved with us to our new studio as well, and it's a, it places the work in each working space. And so, um, and theoretically, we're supposed to move those pots around. But yeah, yeah. again, everyone's terrified to move them because they don't want to break them, <laughs> Having knowing the story of what happens. Um, but the... Um, so I think the, 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 this idea of um, finding the work allows us to connect as a, as a studio. It, allows, it, it reminds us of the sort of narrative between uh, the, the work that happens through a sequence of spaces. Mm. And that's something which we, um, I guess, as a, a, try to embed in, in every project that we do, whether it's an urban project or, a, or um, a, an intimate project of, of architecture. So... That narrative of um, conversation is something which strikes uh, us very we'll Always end any conversation on the word stories. Well, thank you for some wonderful stories tonight and for sharing them with us. Because I think it's, you know, the, the studio is really beautiful and it's something, you know, I spent, I was lucky enough to spend just an hour and a half on Saturday, that cold Saturday morning watching the light play. And it does change. And I, you know, I, I'm... I think it will continue, you will continue to have a dialogue, conversations with that space. And I hope that your conversations continue and that the project on Beak Street might happen, and if not that, other ones, because I think through both of your work you open up new conversations for us and new understandings and ask us to actually take time with things. Um, you know, there's, we often don't stop and look, and I think that um, getting down to see the installation in Margate is just extraordinary 
done in Tipperfield's new building, but watching these new installations come up, interventions that ask us to think and look about the spaces around us. So thank you both for sharing this with us. It's been lovely. Um, and do join us for a drink and to continue the conversations. Yep. Oh, there are lots. Is any shot of anything that makes it come alive as a working place, because it is your working environment. Do you know what? That's a really good question. Come back, and we'll show you thousands of photographs full of people and a dog. <laughs> yeah. so architectural photography yep. doesn't yep. often have people, yep. does it? <laughs> Quite <laughs> right. Please join me in thanking Edmund and David.